Great. Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. And this is Tim Grady. I'm here, and Lou Weiss is out on assignment, so I will be talking to our guest today, who is Norbert Orr, is the Director of Industry Surveys with Strategus Research Partners. He's also a senior correspondent with Manufacturing Talk Radio, and he surveys uh, the, uh, looks at the surveys from the manufacturing industry and also non-manufacturing across 18 different countries as well as some regional areas of the United States and puts together a report that he is kind enough to share with us here on Manufacturing Talk Radio. So, Norbert, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Tim. Always good to be with you. Enjoy your global survey insights that uh, came out for September, and we're seeing some softness in manufacturing. And before the show, you were kind of summing that up for me. I'd like you to kind of give a summary of what we're seeing to our listener audience. Yeah, I I think... uh... You know, at various times in the business cycle, sometimes it becomes very cloudy and trying to pick a direction or or, uh, understand the direction uh, becomes uh, quite murky as we uh, look look ahead. Uh, I think the last couple of months have been that way. If uh, somebody had asked me to predict uh, where we'd be today versus three or four months ago, uh, I probably wouldn't have had a clue as to what all has transpired during this period of time. Uh, and we've got the Fed involved. We've got uh, uh, the administration involved. We've got uh, the Chinese involved. We've got the Europe involved and the EU. We've got China or uh, Asia involved in uh, uh, so many different ways, uh, not North Korea. Uh, so there's a huge number of moving parts in all of this. But to, to try to break that down to a, uh, uh understandable level, I guess, uh, uh, the way I look at it through survey data is uh, we're either looking at manufacturing or non-manufacturing. Man- manufacturing uh, gets the most attention. Manufacturing is about 12% of GDP. Non-manufacturing gets much less attention, but it's four times larger, so almost half of the GDP comes out of the non-manufacturing sector. Well, what's in that sector that drives things? Uh, uh, Housing, uh, distribution, uh, among others. That also includes uh, mining and agriculture fall into that group. So it, it, as you start to put industries associated with it, whether it's real estate or construction or whatever, uh, and uh, non-manufacturing starts to play a bigger role. And non-manufacturing plays a big role, for instance, in uh, construction. Everything, uh, every component that goes into a uh, house is at a secondary level of manufacturing as it's assembled on the site first level of manufacturing is the manufacturing plant where roof trusses, wallboard, uh, floor tile, all of those things come as part of manufacturing. So it helps drive manufacturing in that regard. 
so where are we right now? Uh, we see that uh, manu uh, non-manufacturing has an index of 56.1, and uh, that's a reasonable level uh, for non-manufacturing. Uh, it says that it's solid. Uh, don't expect to see it going down, frankly, uh, uh, very much uh, because it tends to hold up in this part of the cycle. Uh, very nicely, and uh, so we, we can rely somewhat on, on that. Now, manufacturing is in the middle of a correction, and looking back, I could see on six different occasions since 2007 where we have seen manufacturing go below 50 uh, just for a month or two, generally, and uh, make a correction. So, uh, again, that's why we look at manufacturing, because it's much more sensitive uh, uh, than that. Uh, so those are things that we learn over time uh, and uh, reasons that we don't want to see uh, anybody uh, overreacting in, in this environment. Certainly the tariffs and trade negotiations are, are having an impact, uh, and I think it depends on the business how much of an impact there is. Uh, I think as business people, we can all look at what uh, what the administration negotiation position is trying to do, uh, is they're trying to make it as tough on the Chinese as possible and uh, put them in a position where they have to agree at least to uh, uh, a large number of the uh, concessions that they've identified along the way with this. Uh, and I, I don't think the administration will walk away with nothing because they're, they're in a superior position. So, so that'll happen. So, I, I think we can rely on non-manufacturing to carry the economy, and we can rely on manufacturing to complete its cycle. And uh, over the fourth quarter, maybe first quarter of next year, we'll see manufacturing come uh, back with uh, with some strength that'll. Uh, support continued growth within uh, within the economy. So anyway, that's kind of the backdrop of the things that, that I want to talk about. Now let's get uh, uh, into some of the specifics that, that we see. Uh, one of the big challenges, I think, from a manufacturing standpoint is Europe. Uh, Germany uh, has been struggling if you go back to the first of the year, uh, in January, Germany had an index of 49.7, meaning there's very slight growth uh, in, in that period of time. Uh, the uh, other countries in Europe, uh, France is at 51.1, so it's growing a little bit. The Netherlands is 51.6, and it's growing a little bit. And uh, the other one is Greece. And uh, Greece has made a uh, strong recovery, uh, and it's growing at 54.9 this month. So uh, we can look at what they're doing uh, financially, what they're doing trade-wise, um, and uh, see that, uh, that they've got, they're way behind us and will continue to be. Uh, particularly uh, some of the policy issues that they've got that make it very, very difficult. Norbert, I've got a question for you on Greece. I mean, we had the benefit of you sharing with us your scattergram, so we're kind of watching all of these survey 
uh, plotted points as a you know flock of starlings and how they're moving. But Greece has made this recovery. Now, Greece was in an economic mess a year ago. What did they clean up, or what did Europe force them to clean up that they're doing so well now? Uh, I think the big thing has been focus. Uh, uh, Greece has only had a balanced budget in like one out of the last 180 years. Uh, <laughs> and uh, given the situation with our bu- budget and, and our financial man- stewardship, uh, I, I hesitate to say to criticize too much, but uh, right. they just simply started a new focus uh, on uh uh, get, getting their act in order uh, financially and uh, uh, managing better, focusing on uh, building uh, employment and so on. And so uh, they they have come back. If if you go back and look at uh, Greece over the course of let's see, Greece uh, go back to January, they've averaged fifty four point three. So they've really done a super job of uh, turning the economy around. Uh, I'm not sure they balanced the budget, but uh, certainly they've maintained that. It's not a large country, so uh, if they're going to change something, they can uh, they can change it o- over a very short period of time. Uh, right. So uh, ha- happy for them. Uh, whatever it is that they're doing well, uh, we could probably learn from it, uh, you know. Uh, on the sure. other hand, uh, if we go back and look at, uh, I wanted to comment specifically about Germany, uh, because uh, Germany has been, uh, last month it was 43.2, this month 43.5. Uh, it's by far the weakest uh, economy in terms of uh, uh, expansion. Uh, and uh, of all the eight euro, you know, eurozone, there's 24 countries, I believe, in the um, EU. But the you're the largest is, economy, is, aren't is, they? Germany's the largest, and uh, in the EU uh, or eurozone, the EZ, there's eight countries, and that's what we focus on. Uh, frankly, uh, I, I I think. Uh, uh, if they had it all to do over again, if they had focused only on trying to put those eight countries together, but uh, they didn't, and uh, they made uh, made it a much bigger challenge for themselves uh, because of that. Well, so, you know, let's talk about the UK a little bit, who's in the news a lot lately because there's a about a third of the parliament that wants to do a hard Brexit and a third of the parliament that wants to do a soft Brexit and about a third of the parliament doesn't want to do any Brexit and they got a mess on their hands. And their manufacturing, of course, is nervous as a cat on a hot tin roof. Right, right. I've got a meeting in uh, London in November and uh, every every other day, it seems like I stop and think. Okay, wonder what's going to be what's it going to be like uh, when uh, when we go? Are they going to have been through a, a soft Brexit, hard Brexit? Uh, you know, what direction? Uh, uh, they, uh, we're we're going to see a great example of uh, leadership if Boris Johnson is able to bring all this together. Uh, I think it's a terrible example for democracy when the the people uh, 
have a general uh, election to uh, to determine a path, and then the politicians say, "Well, uh, we heard what you said, but we're not doing what you said." Right. And right. Um, it, it makes a terrible case, uh, you know, for that. It makes it very difficult. I, I frankly have been a, a big fan. I've had on uh, on one occasion or another. I've uh, heard John Major. I've heard David Cameron. I've heard Tony Blair in in person, uh, and uh, I've always been impressed with uh, the way a uh, politician has to respond in Britain because uh, uh, they have to really know their stuff and be able to stand up as they do in Parliament and present their ideas and so on. Uh, uh, regrettably, I never got to meet Margaret Thatcher, but uh, uh, she was pretty good too. Uh, oh yeah. And so I, I, I think uh, they, they're speaking to the credibility of the politicians within the country. Um, we'll see. Uh, what, uh, you know, right now I'd say it's fifty-fifty. Uh, they whether they go or not, and so that's not a uh, not not very good betting odds. Uh, You're right. Right. I mean, they've postponed this and postponed it and postponed it. I'm assuming at some point Europe says, look, either do it or don't, or we'll just boot you out and and you'll live with what you get. Right. Well, and we also see what's going on right now in in, in the EU where uh, they're looking at trying to pass new legislation that puts uh, uh, taxes, tariffs, whatever you want to call them, on uh, American technology firms. That are that are working in, right. uh, in, in the EU, uh, and uh, all they're uh, all they're going to do is make life more miserable for themselves, uh, <laughs> because they're 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 going to have to their people are going to have to pay the, their companies, and uh, here in Atlanta, uh, not too far from my house, uh, is a new Mercedes Benz North American headquarters. And right. uh, uh, most of those companies are uh, uh, Porsche has a new headquarters in Atlanta, uh, and I understand a couple of others are uh, are going to do the same thing. So they're basically just saying we're prepared to become a, a North American company if that's what we uh-huh. have to do to uh-huh. do that. Well, with the the UK and its turmoil, obviously because of the our own tariff wars with China, we have our own turmoil. So uh, China has actually got two surveys. I wonder if you could explain the two and the differences between the two. Okay, sure. Uh, There are two surveys uh, coming out of China. One is called the Kaishin China General Manufacturing Survey. And it uh, went above 50 this month from uh, 49.9 to 50.4. The the problem is if you run that all the way back to January, it's averaging uh, 49.8, indicating hardly any expansion, uh, in fact, some contraction in in China in in that survey. Now, that survey is the one... That uh, well, let me let me bring in the second survey, and that's called the CFLP survey. That's the uh, uh, 
China Federation of uh, Logistics that uh, conducts that. I helped them put that survey together. They have like 8,000 responses monthly. Uh, wow. So, so it's almost a, a, a general election instead of a, a survey. Um, and uh, they that is the official government survey. Uh, it moves even less than the um, uh, other than the uh, Kaishin survey does. And uh, so I don't think there's a lot to be learned. Uh, you know, supposedly China has been at 6% growth in GDP for the last five years. Right. And uh, every other chart that I've got has some very significant variability represented with highs and lows and uh, you know, the economy is like the stock market. You're going to have your highs. You're going to have your lows. You're going to see that. But here's a survey uh, that we don't see that much in either survey. And I, I think uh, um, I don't know what value. Maybe, you know, what they what they say they've got and what they actually have is probably two different things uh, that we do that. But the... Uh, Kaishin survey that I brought up first, that includes multinationals. So we do see a little bit more uh, variability in that survey than we do in the uh, official survey, which is okay. only government-owned and Chinese-owned companies. There are no multinationals, no, no shared ownership uh, in the companies that participate in that. So uh, I, I struggled to believe uh, the results of either of those surveys for quite some length of time because I just don't see enough variability from it. Ah, okay, okay. Well, that that would make sense. You would expect to see some movement up and down by which to justify something that's kind of flatlined. So, uh, right, I, I I can agree with that. So, and the rest of Asia, India. North, South Korea, Thailand, Cambodia, how uh, Japan, let's not forget Japan, um, and Taiwan, how are those folks doing? Uh, well, uh, interesting that you bring up Taiwan uh, last because uh, Taiwan in terms of Asia is the one that I look at first. Uh, okay. Taiwan has been a democracy for 60 years. Uh, Taiwan buys into capitalism uh, and and uh, competitiveness and uh, you know when, when these tariffs first started I was in touch with some friends in Taiwan and I asked them how they uh, how they perceived what was going on and they said oh we'll just go find business elsewhere <laughs> and uh, Taiwan has the ability and the mindset. That to, to understand that they've always they're always gaining or losing business because of currencies, uh, because of politics, and so they really understand uh, the need for good relationships. But they also understand the need to be able to move business from time to time. So uh, Taiwan has uh, fell down. Uh, uh, earlier in the year, uh, down into 44 range, it's up in the 48 range right now, uh, and uh, and it's holding up fairly well. 
Uh, Taiwan is highly dependent on the semiconductor industry, and that's coming back and, and actually doing doing quite well right now. So I would expect to see them, and and that's part of that san, uh, manufacturing cycle, where uh, you go through a period of uh, uh, of contraction and you go through periods of expansion, and it shows up in the numbers that way. Right. As far as the rest of those countries that you mentioned, uh, all of them uh, are uh, doing some things right that are improving uh, uh, business conditions and making the correction in manufacturing. Uh, South Korea is at a 49. Uh, Let's see, India. What did I do with India? I hit them. Um, India was in the 52.3 range, as I recall. Uh, there it is, a 51.4 range, down from 52.5. But India has uh, had a, a good long run of, uh, of months that uh, that they've been solid, and so uh, their economy is probably uh, the strongest in in that region anyway. Uh, and if you look back through January, they've averaged 52.6. And they don't have a tremendous amount of variability, but uh, they have sufficient ver- variability to make me believe that they are doing a reasonably good job with their survey. Uh, Japan uh, still has issues. They're at 49.3, and the issues uh, are, are around uh, their financing of their debt. Uh, they've tried a couple of different strategies, uh, and none of them have really worked out uh, well for them. So uh, I, uh, I suspect they'll continue to do it. They, they have a, a population issue. Uh, uh, the demographics in Japan are that the, uh, the age, average age is, is going uh, up very quickly, and so they've got uh, – fewer workers to support more and more uh, government pensioners. Ah, right. That may become a problem in this country soon. Well, it's actually a global, you know, Italy's population is in the process of going down from 90 million to 70 million. Ooh. And and you, you would like to replace some of this with immigration, uh, and so there's a lot of countries that are uh, the, the, that are receptive, but once it becomes a political football, uh, uh, yeah, the, the, getting the the right talents and uh, uh, the the, uh, the the wealth. Uh, you know, when uh, China took over um, Hong Kong and. We see everything going on in Hong Kong now. When China took over Hong Kong, they uh, uh, offer uh, the Canadians offered anybody that had a half million dollars that they could deposit in the bank. They offered them immediate Canadian citizenship, <laughs> and uh, that turned out to be a re- really great program. Uh, many of those people then made homes. Uh, I have uh, one friend who moved his family to Vancouver, and then he commuted to Hong Kong from Vancouver. And so he had the best of both worlds. He could still stay in his job. He could still earn the same uh, income. But uh, 
if if at any point in time uh, he, he became concerned, he also had the ability to immediately travel on a Canadian passport. Yeah, right, right. Well, before we come back to North America, I just wanted to ask you about Hong Kong. Um, for those uh, listening, who, and including me, who may not get what's happening in Hong Kong and why, uh, I wonder if you could share what you know about that as it relates to their economy and the like. Well, uh, everything I know, I can uh, probably uh, mention, put into two sentences at the most. Uh, uh, I've been to Hong Kong a couple of times and uh, find it very interesting. But you know, the deal was with China that in or with the UK and uh, was in uh, 1999-2000 when they made the changeover that right. uh, the uh, that Hong Kong would stay independent and not fall under Chinese law and so on. And it was very specifically laid out that Hong Kong would stay independent. Okay. And, and, and so this most recent, uh, recent uh, uproar was, was driven simply by uh, Beijing had said they wanted to have the – they passed a new law that said – that certain people if in Hong Kong, if they were charged in Hong Kong, then Beijing could say, no, we want them tried in Beijing and not in Hong Kong. And uh-huh. that, really, that really set off the furor. And then from that, it's grown into, uh, I think, uh, the young generation in particular, which seems to be dedicated to this, uh, they believe that this is maybe their last shot at freedom. That if the if they let the Chinese get away with this, that uh, it's just simply going to make it that much more difficult for them to to maintain uh, a free society, which they felt they were able to do, and and right. the, the most recent change in the law from that. Now I think they've uh, now rescinded that law. Uh, but they can't rescind all of the anxiety, all of the concern, all of the thirst. Oh, yeah. That, you know, it, it's it really a case of trying to put the genie back in the bottle. Yeah, you've got that exactly right. You know, so really? it would be interesting. I, uh, obviously, uh, China would like not to have that problem right now with the trade talks and uh, everything else they've got. Uh, uh, to look at, I'm sure they prefer not to do that, but it may be uh, a problem that just won't go away. Actually, it could be. So, so coming back to North America, and we saw some softening in in America's the U.S.'s PMI, but Canada and Mexico are showing pretty much the same number. How, how is the North American continent doing? Well. Uh, as the U.S. goes, so goes Canada and, and Mexico. Uh, Canada fell down to 49.1, same as what the U.S. is. And then you go to Mexico, and it's at 49. So uh, basically we stayed at parity uh, as far as North America is concerned. And, again, I, I think the, this would be a very short-term move that we'll see uh, a bounce come back out of it. Uh, 
maybe uh, with all the retail numbers looking as good as they do, that may be uh, that we see a bounce, uh, you know, uh, this this coming month. I, uh, I think several months ago I said I wouldn't be surprised by the end of the year to see one or two months below 50, uh, but I wouldn't get real worried about it. I, I'm still uh, uh, on that bet that uh, right. we, we won't see anything more than one or two months uh, below 50, and we'll see a bounce that comes from it. Uh, new orders and uh, production really are the drivers of the index, of the PMI, and both of them fell significantly uh, and uh, will bounce back somewhat this month, whether it's enough. That's 40% of the index. Whether it's enough to really uh, add some momentum to the positive side, uh, we'll see. But uh, uh, if not this month, next month, I, I think we'll see a bottom uh, and uh, start a new cycle of, uh, of growth. Particularly, it seems like today uh, there was a lot of discussion about maybe uh, we do a partial deal with China. Uh, right. That, you know, they said at one point 90% of the um, uh, issues in, in the tariff uh, negotiation and so on, that they really had 90% of it settled, uh, and uh, maybe they're not going to get a, a quick resolution. Uh, you know, you've got a lot of human rights issues. The China, not only are they not willing to give up, they really can't give up without exposing themselves. And right. their uh, poor human rights record that goes with that. So. Uh, we'll see uh, how how they respond to that. Well, as we wrap this up, I just want to touch on two regional surveys, both of which I find interesting. One is Chicago, which on your scattergram is uh, far downfield in the strengthening category, even though their PMI is only at 50.4, but it looks very strong. And I'm just wondering if Milwaukee is also looking very strong. Uh Milwaukee uh, came in at 47.3, ah. uh, up from 46.4. Now, the distinction uh, uh, w- would be primarily that Milwaukee is about durable goods, and Chicago is uh, more on the consumer side, and they also combine services with manufacturing. So. You've got probably some strong services numbers in Chicago that are, are helping them to, to pull that up a little bit. Uh, as you know from previous conversations, Tim, I'm not a big fan of Chicago, but uh, interestingly, I was looking at the correlation with the ISM manufacturing survey uh, since I think the first of the year, and the correlation's up to about a point seven zero, uh, which uh, – uh, if, if I added another three or four years back on that, uh, that would probably be uh, more like a, a point four or a point three. So it has moved uh, similarly, uh, you know, in in recent. Uh, I still think uh, Milwaukee. Uh, uh, they have a manu- They do a blue collar survey for employment and a white collar survey. 
and uh, the blue collar survey is holding up very nicely. White collar uh, is is uh, uh, in the low 40s. So um, we really see uh, the distinction, and I think it shows that uh, companies move. You know, if they have a white collar position, they may put off replacing it. Right. If they have a blue collar position, uh, the, all the things we've heard about the uh, lack of um, uh, capable employees, uh, they're they're not really willing to part with those blue collar employees. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, when I was going to college, uh, gee, not too long ago, I'll say with a tongue in cheek, we were convinced that Milwaukee was all about beer and not. Uh, durable goods. I was at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and I think we consumed everything Milwaukee could produce. So we were helping the manufacturing <laughs> sector. <laughs> I, I suspect there's still a, a, a large group in Madison that's continuing the tradition that you uh, you I'm participated sure in. <laughs> well, Norbert, we appreciate you coming on with us every month and kind of giving us an overview of what's happening globally, because that's important to see. And we appreciate you joining us again this month, and we look forward to chatting with you next month when we hope to see a little recovery in the PMI. Okay. Very good. Good to talk to you. Bye-bye. All right, Norbert, thank you. And we've been speaking with Norbert Orr, who is the Director of Industry Surveys for Strategus Research Partners. And, again, we want to encourage our listeners who are manufacturers, and you may want to pass this on to your people in the C-suite or your company owners of manufacturing plants. To get a hold of Norbert Orr at Strategus Research Partners, that's S-T-R-A-T-G-A-S. Uh, look, look up Strategus Research Partners. My spelling's a little off. I can help out that with that. Too. Oh, great. S-T-R-A-T-E-G-A-S. Thanks, R-P-E-G-A-S. R-P.com, right? R-P, yeah. R-P.com. So let's get a hold of Norbert and participate in this survey because – You get his two reports, and you get them uh, one around the 5th or 6th of the month, one maybe the 18th or 19th of the month before some other reports come out. And these are real leading indicator reports. So I encourage all of our listeners to do that. If you're looking for one that happens to be out that we've talked about, you can visit us at mfgtalkradio.com and check on that in any of the Norbert Orr shows, and we've had them every month now for a couple of years. And thank you again to all of our listeners for listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.